Welcome to the Superheroes Everyday Podcast. I'm Danny Horn. Thank you for joining us. On this podcast, we talk about pivotal moments in superhero movie history. Today, we are addressing the 2020 teenage wasteland, The New Mutants. Now, I know you can have too much of a good thing, so I'm using the Sid Field three-act structure to break up the episode. This is Act 1 of The New Mutants, and then I'll be releasing Act 2 and Act 3 later on in the week. And now I want to introduce my guest. Joining me today from the Muppet fan site Tough Pigs, the Muppet Quiz podcast Hubba and the blog The Daily Fantastic, it is Becca Petunia. Becca, hello. Hi there, Danny. I'm so glad to be back talking about another not great movie. Yes, you were you were on the show before talking about Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, which we had a few notes for the filmmakers on that. The notes were uh, get good. <laughs> Cry pretty. So you are a big you we talked about um, you being a big Fantastic Four fan in the last episode. You are also a big New Mutants fan. How did you uh, how'd you get started with the New Mutants? Yeah. I'm also a really big New Mutants fan. I mean, I like the X-Men as a whole, although uh, those who know me also know that I hate the current run of X-Men, but oh, that's yeah. its own 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 thing. But I love sort of like the 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 old school stuff, especially the New Mutants. They are my favorite of the X-Men team. I think that they do a really good job sort of like messing with different genres mm-hmm. and having sort of interesting characters that bounce off of each other in in interesting ways being just very easy to relate to and connect with and just really appealing overall yeah well there is there's sort of a there's a soap opera aspect to the new mutants that is is sort of similar to the the soap opera of the fantastic 4 of everybody has feelings everybody has crushes on people yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's that's what I like. And I have been meaning to watch the movie New Mutants since the New Mutants teaser trailer dropped. Yes. And I had not watched the movie New Mutants until yesterday. <laughs> I finally got you to uh, to take the plunge and watch the movie. Well, there's there's a complex production backstory to this movie that doesn't really make sense. So I'm just going to talk about that for a minute. Please. Josh Boone, who made The Fault in Our Stars in 2014, I don't know why he decided that he was going to make an X-Men movie, but he really wanted to. So he specifically, he went to Fox, specifically wanted to work on the New Mutants and make it a horror movie. And I don't know why Fox greenlit it, because they were very nervous about it. And it went through a whole bunch of iterations. They got like seven more people to contribute to the script. And at one point they had a writer's room that was supposed to tear apart the script and put it back together. So I don't know what Boone ended up with ultimately as the script for his movie, but it was going to be like, instead of being full horror with blood and everything, it was going to be more YA focused. And then in 2017, this is when the teaser trailer came out because it came out, Stephen King's it and was very, very successful. And so for the new mutants, they made a trailer that went more in the horror direction and apparently that did really well. Like people responded very well to it. So they were like, oh, maybe we should make this like more horror. And so in 2018, Fox was going to do reshoots. They were going to include more characters. At one point, they said they were going to reshoot half the film, but they couldn't decide which half, which is amazing to me. And then Disney bought Fox in 2019 and they were still trying to figure out, like, are we still doing reshoots on this movie? Nobody really knew. And then June 2019, Dark Phoenix came out and bombed. 
And so Disney just was not sure what they were doing with this at all. And it just dragged on and on. Boone went and started working on the stand and other stuff. And um, beginning of 2020, this I love this. D23, the Disney fan club, they said on their website that this was part of the MCU. And they had to take <laughs> it down because Marvel Studios was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, don't get excited about that. This is not part of the MCU for sure. We're going to keep this pretty far away. And so finally, Disney just said, like, just to Boone, just come finish the goddamn thing. They didn't do any reshoots. They just finished the movie. And then they released it in theaters in August 2020, which was like the worst possible time to release a movie. And I remember 2020 being like, they're just going to release this at the worst possible time. (laughs) Yes. As a bellwether, like their goal right, is yeah, to figure out, see. like, yeah. is anyone going to see this movie? <laughs> and if people see this movie, then we know it's safe to release a Spider-Man. Yeah. But if nobody sees this movie, we're gonna we're gonna hold off. Yep. And look, if New Mutants did better, not to get to the end of the podcast, mm-hmm. would would Warner Brothers would Warner Brothers have released Wonder Woman eighty four straight to streaming? Uh, Two months later, three months later. Well, who knows? So something funny <laughs> is Wonder Woman 1984 actually made twice as much as the New Mutants. New <laughs> Mutants, they made $24 million in August 2020, which is kind of a, a miracle uh, at the yeah. domestic box office. People really were not going to the theaters. And then in December, Wonder Woman 84 made twice as much. And I don't think, like you're saying, I didn't even realize they'd released it in theaters. All I I got to assume that all of the studio executives were like watching New Mutants. Being yes, to like, see is this going to work, like, and the answer was basically no. So let's talk about Act One, Becca. There's an old Native American proverb that says that inside every person there are two bears, forever locked in combat for your soul. One bear is all things good, compassion, love, trust. The other is all things evil, fear, shame. And self-destruction. And that's the one I think that made this movie. The the fear, shame. And I'm pretty sure that's the one that actually like got this done. So I almost stood up and just left <laughs> when I heard this. Your own house. Like, left your own house. Left my own house. Yeah, of course. I was in my living room. Because what, what that's are a we... bad that's a bad movie if it can make you like evacuate. I heard that this line was in the movie. Yeah. I remember review saying that. I didn't realize that it was literally, we see the 20th the century, yeah. we see that logo, mm-hmm. and then it is the next <laughs> thing, is just, there's an ancient Indian proverb, yeah. and there's yep. so much wrong with this, because not only is it just, it's trite, it's cliched yeah. screenwriting, mm-hmm. love that it's just like, I don't know, it's some Indian group. We right. find yeah. out later in the movie what Indian group our protagonist is from, but right. not not here not here yeah it isn't an indian proverb obviously yeah the regular saying is about wolves we've (laughs) stretched it to be about bears Bears. yeah so it fits the theme of the movie yeah and you know what when you get right down to it i don't think it's even accurate i don't even think there are two bears inside every person well i mean one i'd stretch a point and say one but most people know depends again it depends you know <laughs> it depends some, on your... some people some people are bears and, yeah. and some people some people are otters and <laughs> some people are twinks and it 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 just works out it's the, yeah it's the mosaic of life so somehow they've managed to make this 
already feel more racist to me than a comic <laughs> book from the early 80s. <laughs> right. Yeah, at least they didn't make up Native American sayings. Well, Danny wakes up and she is in the middle of an invisible monster attack. Her dad is shaking her awake. There is some kind of big nighttime tragedy occurring. And dad says, we have to run as fast as we can. Everything's like rumbling and crashing and they run out of their trailer or their house. And it's like an earthquake if an earthquake made growling noises and wanted to eat you. And their house splinters apart and explodes. It's a very exciting opening, uh, very confusing. So they go and hide. Dad, Dad hides Danny in a tree and says he has to go back and help other people. There's more explosions. And Danny just kind of like crouches inside this hollow tree and kind of whimpers. And she hears her dad screaming, run, and then stay away. And then no. And then she sees her father's body hit the ground right in front of her. Which is like fair play to the bear. That's that is some quality uh, carnage. Well, listen, I mean, again, are we doing a horror movie or not? Because if we are doing a horror movie, this is a fine opening to just Mm -hmm. throw a corpse at the protagonist. (laughs) She's not happy with it. She doesn't like it at all. She runs and runs and uh, she hears something behind her. And then because she's a girl, she trips Mm -hmm. you you can't run especially in a horror movie you can't run without tripping so she trips and she kind of rolls down a little incline and she hits her head and that is the only outside scene that we are gonna see for the entire rest of the movie that was it danny's father is one of two adult characters we ever see in this movie (laughs) this is a very small movie it's got what like six characters total Seven if you count Danny's dad. If you count Danny's dad, which I don't. Eight eight if you count an imaginary pastor. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, except for some uh, several imaginary people who kind of float through. The question that I have for this film is how can you have a film with six characters that has six annoying characters in it? Well, Becca, welcome to my facility. As you know, on this podcast, we love facilities. Hey, and uh, does this do thing uh, do things end well at this facility? I mean, we'll find out. We'll find things out. Things oh. never do. But you know that you, as soon as you're in a facility, you know that this facility is not going to make it all the way to the end of the movie. But this is where we're going to spend our time. Danny is in an empty hospital room with a whole bunch of beds, and she's handcuffed to her bed. It's kind of obviously abandoned. There's bars on the windows. She's trying to figure out where she is. She drags the bed over to the door. I do have to say, I really liked that she tried to figure, like, credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. I like that she tried very actively to figure out where she was. She's dragging, she's handcuffed to the bed, but she's dragging the bed around the room. Like, okay, we've at least established that this is not going to be the most passive character in the world, even though... It, I don't know how kind long of that entire, lasted. Yeah, that doesn't last at <laughs> but all. I, think yeah, I was I agree like, with okay. You. It's a I good moment. In, I was yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, now that you say that, like, no, any other threat that comes near her, her, um, she has a, a different way of uh, dealing with yeah. it. Yeah. She hears on this tinny little loudspeaker with feedback. She hears this woman's voice saying, relax, I'm on my way over to you. This is kind of just like the scariness of old things that don't work well anymore, which we're going to see quite a bit of. And here comes Dr. Reyes, the terrible Dr. Reyes, who is going to dominate our lives for the next hour and a half. Dr. Reyes, who, of course, not a villain in the comics, and also, again, in an example of sort of like kind of racist casting, 
is much much darker skinned in the comics this this oh, woman is, that is right? like so so we'll yeah. see this again with sunspot and i have a yeah. lot more to say about sunspot but it's a similar thing where it works skinned in the comics so dr reyes is super creepy danny is very suspicious and she tells danny that a tornado touched down on her reservation that danny is the sole survivor of a terrible tragedy and Danny has to kind of deal with that now. And Danny says, like, no, no, it, was, it wasn't a tornado. It was growling. There was something. And and Reyes assures her that trauma makes us remember things that aren't real. And then she puts something in Danny's hand, which is a little carving of a bear on a string, which apparently she had with her when she came to the hospital. This is another bear. And we're going to hear a lot about this bear as well. Yeah, no. At this point, I literally wrote like, okay, this is a little on the nose, even <laughs> even for a superhero yeah. movie. And this is this is yet another dead parent, which happens in practically every movie that I talk about. Fathers have an unbelievably short average life expectancy in superhero movies. They basically all have like yeah. dead parents yeah. in this movie. That yes, because Sam has one as well. Yeah. Yeah, Sam does. And I believe I think this is this is the 16th and 17th dead father. Oh, so, okay. So far on the podcast, it happens a lot. Yeah, and in the movie that we watched, yep. the Johnny Storm yes, exactly. reminds yeah. reminds Sue Storm that dad would have been proud even though that is not mentioned <laughs> or relevant. Yep. We just recently did uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and April's dad is a big right, thing right. being dead. Um just did Iron Man. And Tony Stark's dad. Yeah. Dad's a big thing. There's so many dead parents. I did appreciate, on the one hand, I appreciated that this movie seemed like it might be moving quickly. Mm-hmm. At this point, I thought. <laughs> uh, because here we are at six minutes and 44 seconds in. Uh, mm-hmm. We're getting the title already. Character saying the phrase. <laughs> oh, you know how new mutants, new mutants are. Yeah. It slows down with this tea scene. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no, it's going to it's gonna slow to a very down to a crawl basically the thing that we saw at the beginning of the movie that's the action sequence that we're gonna have to live with for i don't know more than an hour so danny's kind of horrified her reservation was wiped off the face of the earth no one is left she's the last survivor reyes thinks that that makes her very exciting and uncommon and then she starts talking about these new mutants that the mutants usually find out their their special ability in puberty and she tells her that Danny is a mutant, which I don't know. Does she did she understand that before she walked into this into this particular meeting? It does not seem so in this movie. It's yeah. different in the comics. Again, the, we're, we're so far beyond the comics at this yeah. point that who cares? But no, it, it it does seem like this is new. Also unclear, again, how Reyes is trying to convince her that being a mutant protected her from a tornado (laughs) there's no this this lie doesn't stand up to a moment's scrutiny (laughs) but somehow she knows that she's a mutant and this is a a facility for new mutants um and they are going to figure out together what danny's true nature is and then danny goes through like the five stages of grief lightning round where she looks real uneasy for a minute and she settled down very quickly. Like, clearly she has pre-grieved. Reyes is um, walking her down the hall, brings her to her terrible bare little room that's basically just a bed and nothing else. Everything here is kind of dark and gray. Um, and 
Rhea says, like, don't worry about anything. Get some rest. You're safe now. And then she closes the door and she locks it, which is fantastic. Um, and we see that there are cameras and the camera is kind of like recording her. And a thing that is so odd for me about the entire movie is like if Reyes wants these people to feel comfortable in this space, give them some stuff that feels like a real place. This feels like it, a prison. It's so weird because I get that Reyes is a villain and yeah. we'll get more into that obviously later. But like, I don't know, you'd have to be a child to to not be suspicious of her at this point in the movie. <laughs> right, yes. But like the the extent of her scheme and like why she has this whole huge facility for only five children and mm-hmm. all of these things isn't addressed <laughs> in a way that ever really makes sense. And yeah. I, I do want to get into that, put a pin in it, mm-hmm. but it almost feels like Rhea's is a ghost like just going <laughs> through the motions you yeah. know like ghost just repeating like this is a hospital like <laughs> right. but it, that's not what's going on but yeah. like there were definitely moments where i was like is she a ghost or a robot who's like because <laughs> it doesn't not make any aware sense. yeah that the hospital sucks now like the thing, the thing that's so funny about reyes is is like there's the thing that she's pretending to do which she's doing very, very badly. And then there's the thing that she's actually supposed to be doing, which she also does really, really badly. And this this is going to come up as we go through here. She doesn't need to, this whole thing doesn't need <laughs> to doesn't be happening. Need, I know, it's entirely unnecessary. Well, so let's let's jump into that. Like the first thing that we see where we get these characters is a treatment group. They have like a group therapy situation going on where there are four other kids sitting around in a circle in chairs. This is, as far as we can tell, the only thing that actually happens in this institution is that every once in a while, we have like a group therapy session and they never do it for very long. They don't do it for very long. They don't do it well. Um, <laughs> but again, Reyes is, you know, a is villain. An insane but person. Like, this isn't really how group therapy works works yeah this isn't really a good way to deal with children again as a teacher i'm like right. i don't i don't love this pedagogically speaking <laughs> and here's where we see all of our our fantastic new characters now we meet the entire cast and i did write down in big letters in my notes this cast is so wasted because yes. yeah there's so many people in this who could be really good in a good superhero movie yes that are not in this (laughs) well first up we got sam little sam who is cannonball uh and he is played by charlie heaton who is jonathan in stranger things he is all beat up he's got like a really bad black eye he's got his arm in a sling i love that he's just always injured (laughs) he's cannonball his mutant powers that he can like blast off and they establish that he's bad at landing so like you have to like kind of assume that's why he always has a black eye and his Mm -hmm. arm in a sling and stuff (laughs) like i don't know i liked that as a sort of visual touch i do too yeah he's a mess he's a real mess and and it makes him a sympathetic figure i feel yeah he's a great character in the comics because he really is this like 
down home earnest country boy who like really just wants to do right for his family but is kind of not the brightest and not (laughs) the best at anything but like really just wants to make everyone happy next up there's iliana aka magic aka anna taylor joy who i think is super fun she is about a year and a half away from uh from becoming very well known in the the queen's gambit and last night in soho uh in the super mario brothers movie i really like anya taylor joy i think that she's very pretty Mm -hmm. i think that she she can be really funny in like interviews and stuff because she is very very weird (laughs) in different ways than magic because anya taylor joy is so bizarre and basically looks (laughs) like a haunted doll yeah. She is such a great casting for the role of of Ileana. Mm-hmm. Who I think they're trying to do some fun things with. I have some really complicated feelings about this portrayal of Ileana. I guess I like it in theory what they're going for. It's very confused and they and there's a lot of kind of like contradictory stuff that we see going on with her character. But one thing that I that I like about Anna Taylor Joy is that at least she is trying to do something interesting in every scene. She is is determined to make whatever the dumb thing is that she's supposed to be doing. She's determined to make it interesting. Also, so she has a puppet. Yes, she does. A a little purple dragon puppet that she sometimes talks to and sometimes just has clipped to her belt loop. Yeah. And the purple dragon is named Lockheed. Mm -hmm. And of course, X-Men fans will know that Lockheed is Ilyana's best friend, Kitty Pride's pet dragon. Yes. Not Ilyana's pet dragon. And a real life actual purple dragon. And not a Calvin and Hobbes style. Yeah, a real life actual purple dragon from space, I I might (laughs) add. So then there's Roberto, a.k.a. Sunspot, who is played by Henry Zaga, and he is a huge, gorgeous man with his legs wide open, sitting there in the in group therapy. No, Sunspot is 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 the real the real problem. Um, yeah, I feel like here, because if you'll allow me to just talk a little bit about Please this do. in the original comics, Sunspot is explicitly half brazilian and half black mm-hmm. like ha- when i say half i mean black brazilian but like half yeah. like but like Hispanic afro, and half afro brazilian yeah yeah afro brazilian and like specifically obviously there's lots of different kinds of afro you know afro latinas mm-hmm. and latinos and all that but specifically a very very dark skinned yes one and this is actually very relevant to Sunspot as a character. Mm-hmm. This isn't just like, oh, you know, in the comic he looked like this, but in the movie he looked like this. Yeah. Because Sunspot's whole deal in the comic is that he's rich and should be very cool, but everybody in his hometown hates him and beats him up. And calls him basically like a a a mongrel and an animal because yeah. he is black. And it is explicitly Sunspot's story in the early New Mutants books is about like dealing with 
facing that racism. Mm -hmm. The other fun thing about Sunspot that they miss out on by casting Zaga is that Sunspot is, I will say this lovingly, is a little (laughs) twerp. He's like, he's like four foot eight has got this little baby face and he thinks that he's a ladies man. (laughs) And it is a really funny dynamic for a character to have. Right. That I like better than this, where he thinks he's a ladies man, but looks like, what is it? But looks like very much. Yeah. Yeah. But looks like, you know, super attractive. Yeah. Buff guy. Yeah, I have uh, a quote from Josh Boone from an io9 interview uh, where they asked him about this, about why why is uh, your sunspot very noticeably not African? Uh, And the quote is, I didn't care so much about the racism I've heard about in Brazil, about light skinned versus dark skinned. To me, it was I wanted to represent Brazil in a positive way. And I wanted to find somebody who seems like he could look like a guy who's had the silver spoon in his mouth who has like a really rich dad and Henry just exemplified all these things. So that I don't care so much about the racism, he says. Well, this is just so deeply racist. What yeah, he's saying I'm because so, like, yeah. I wanted him to look rich so he couldn't be black. Yes. Like is race yep. basically what we're saying here? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to represent Brazil in a positive way. And so therefore, so there you go. So that's Henry Zaga. Yeah. That's a little, yeah. You know, no disrespect to Henry Zaga, who again, I think is is a lovely man and is not to blame for this. Yeah, and is fine doing and working with the material that he's been given. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll see. About I that. think that quote makes it clear that Boone doesn't really understand why Sunspot is here. No, absolutely does not. And then the last one is Rain. Uh, she is extremely Scottish, played by Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones. Another person who I feel like is very wasted in this movie. Uh, yes. I think that they're trying to do some interesting things with Rain in this movie. Yes, yeah. But one of the things about, about Rain is there's a lot in the comics about Rain dealing with being a mutant, mm-hmm. similarly to Rain dealing with coming to terms with being a sexual being like right going through puberty and dealing mm-hmm. with shame both about being a werewolf yeah. and shame about being being a woman mm-hmm. and there's a lot of like catholic guilt about that yeah that the movie not only does try to incorporate but one thing that i really appreciated was the movie actually expands on that to be making it queer guilt as well that she's like embarrassed that she's a lesbian and a werewolf and a mutant yeah and a sexual being a better script could have really had some fun with that Mm -hmm. in better ways but i at least liked that it was there i don't know if that's yeah absolutely no more than i can say about most superhero movies i guess (laughs) i mean just straight up the fact that that this movie has a lesbian relationship that is very important to the movie it is not incidental at all um and really kind of motivates for both danny and rain throughout the movie um i think is that's that was a great choice that they made so rain is telling her story about what happened when she was 13 she uh she turns she has dog powers that's the thing about rain uh she is actually kind of the one person who really does something useful with her powers 
in the whole movie. And it's the one who can turn into a dog. And so she tells the story of, you know, she went to Reverend Craig and he asked me to show him. So I changed. And then what did he do? She says he beat me about half to death, said I was a witch, that I was going to hell, which is probably the case. And we're going to find out later, a little later on, um, that going to Reverend Craig was definitely a bad idea. Reverend Craig is not the guy that you would go to for this. And so basically what's happening is nobody really wants to talk in this therapy session. And Dr. Reyes is basically just doing scolding therapy, saying like, we can't help each other unless we talk to each other. And, you know, the program can't help you unless you participate. And she's threatening, like, we could all spend the day in solitary, which like it wouldn't be solitary then. And she just kind of keeps on scolding relentlessly. The the theme of the movie is just that, like, everyone is terrible at doing anything. Like, there's not a single thing a character does successfully in the entire movie, which I feel like is a pretty clear metaphor for how they made it. Like, nobody knows what their talent is. They don't know how to use their talent properly. And that is how they made this movie. Well, one thing that they are very talented at that we start to see here is being racist. Because this <laughs> yes. is the point where we see Roberto laugh at Danny's name. Yes. And also ask Danny if she does drugs. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first time a character will ask Danny if she does drugs. It will not um, be the last. But it will not be the last. No. Yeah. Um, we also he also weirdly asks Danny if she's a nympho. Yeah. He's like, I hope you're a nympho. <laughs> and I was like, what are we? What are we doing here? <laughs> this is a Disney movie, technically. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to set up. It's a weird thing that they do with Berto's character that that he's supposed to be really obnoxious. He's supposed to be the one that, you know, that everybody hates and is bothered by. But they don't really like this is the one place where Berto is really, really obnoxious and horrible. Otherwise, he is kind of charming. He's very sweet in a lot of this. We're going to see that. So Ileana doesn't want to be in this therapy session anymore. Dr. Reyes says, great, why don't you show Danny around? And uh, and Ileana just kind of like rolls her eyes and she's very pissed off walking out with Danny. And she talks to her puppet and says, what's that, Lockheed? And then like listens. She's like, oh, I know. I hate her too. Which is pretty great. I just, I like, I like Ileana hating on everybody. Like you said, there's there's seeds of good stuff in here. Just yeah. not always growing correctly. Oh, absolutely not. So they go outside and they and they see like kind of here's the dorms and here's kind of the main building. So this is a tremendously depressing place. This is an actual insane asylum. Uh it's called Medfield State Hospital in Medfield, Massachusetts, which was open from 1892 to 2003 and it is now open to the public as a historical site or if you want to make dumb movies. They're open for that as well. One of the things about horror movies is oftentimes a a good sense of place really helps with a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Because in order to understand the stakes of like, the villain is chasing me, like I need to get here because here is safe. It helps if you know where things are. And this is the scene where they could have and should have (laughs) set that up. And instead, Ileana just drops the ball and is like, I don't know, here's stuff. Yeah. And then just walks away. And then also asks Danny if she knows how to grow weed because she's Native American. So she must yeah. be on drugs all the time. And it's like, and what does she, does she say? Like, what kind of Indian are you? 
Yeah, she says, what kind of Indian are you? Meaning yeah. that at about 12 minutes into the movie, we finally <laughs> hear specifically uh, Cheyenne mentioned. And then Ileana yeah. is like, I don't care. <laughs> and then Ileana also calls her Pocahontas at this point. Yes, and she like, does. <clears throat> Listen, I get that they want Ileana to be really off-putting. Mm-hmm. And in the comics... At this point, the characters do find Ileana kind of off-putting, although they find her off-putting because she is a demon. (laughs) She's a terrible creature with a magic sword. Yeah, like, because she is a terrible creature. And here it's more like she's a mean girl. And I like that idea. I just don't fully understand why it has to be a racist mean girl. Especially if they want us to like her. Yeah. By the end of the movie. Yeah, that is something that she reaches for several times throughout the movie is is calling Danny names. I wish that she was just regular mean girl caddy. (laughs) Right. So here's what we find out about the invisible barrier that is around this entire estate. And the way that we find that out is that Ileana tells Danny like, hey, you know what? the gate's open. Why don't you just run? And you can, you can get out of here. And Danny runs, she runs and runs. And then she runs smack into an invisible barrier and, uh, and breaks her nose. And, and there's Ileana cracking up. Like it's the funniest thing she's ever seen. And I don't know. I didn't hate that either. You know what I mean? Like, again, I know that was actually kind of cool. I like it when she's being mean and yeah. again, only mean to one person and not right. a whole race of people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Danny is trapped inside these this force shield. Uh, everyone that she has ever known is dead, and she's just not having it. So she decides to go. There's a, a clock tower, and she goes all the way up to the top of it and gets out onto a very thin ledge, and she's going to end it all. Although she doesn't know her mutant power, and it's possible that she can bounce. Well, so why does Reyes have this open? Where you can actually like get up somewhere. If you're and... like abusing these children, right? Maybe don't give them places like a mental where they could, hospital yeah. is not supposed to. That's a really good point about mental hospitals that I had not considered. Let you up kill until yourself, now. Super yeah. Easily. No. <laughs> That's a whole thing. This is our suicide tower. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, you just you position you put the graveyard just right there, so then you can just like, it's not as much work. When all the inmates uh, decide to kill themselves. And then suddenly there's Rain talking her off that ledge. Rain is actually is very sweet to her. And she's saying, like, I want to get out of here, too. But not like this. Let's live a little longer, Danny Moonstar. Rain is is basically a manic Catholic dream girl um, who exists basically in order to be sweet and romantic with Danny. I thought they were cute here, though. They are. They're very cute. When when they were when they were lying on the floor together, and she goes, "Let's live a little longer, yeah. Daddy Moonstar." Yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah, this movie has a gay subplot in it." Yeah. This was like where I realized, and I was like, "Oh, these kids are gay." <laughs> I wrote down in my notes. <laughs> they get down to ground level, and Doctor Reyes, Doctor Reyes, she says, "Like Danny, where were you?" And Rain says that they were at the chapel, and Rain says, no one is ever to be unaccounted for, Rain. You know that. And it's like, dude, hire one other person so that when all the kids are outside, just hire somebody to stand there. You have cameras. Outside. Why isn't there a camera? <laughs> if you've got cameras everywhere, why, doesn't why she isn't have... there a 
Why doesn't she have any other staff? So bizarre. This is what I mean by like, she feels like she's a ghost haunting an abandoned (laughs) facility. Yes, exactly. But like, that isn't the plot. And it's like, if the idea is that this is a cool place, like this is a safe place where you can figure out your powers in a safe environment. And so we're just like a chill hospital meditation center to help you figure that out. Like, stop stressing them out all the time by locking them up in completely unnecessary jail cells. Like, put up a poster, get a plant, organize some activities. Like, it's just these big, bare, empty rooms. There's no classes, as far as we can see. If therapy sessions happen at all, they are always just on the verge of wrapping up when we see them, and they have nothing else planned. So these kids are just at a loose end all of the time. Well, it's important that the rooms are bare because that fits thematically with all of the other bears. (laughs) That is true. It is a very bare room that they are in. And so here's what we see Sam. He's trying something. He's practicing He's all vibrating and pink. He has chained himself to a random concrete block that is randomly in the middle of the basketball court. And we find out that he can blast off and he's just flying in circles, chained to this block, and he's he's banging on the ground. And that's it, right? Like this scene has no other purpose other than just to tell us what Cannonball's powers are. Yeah. And this is another like bizarre thing about, about how Dr. Reyes is pretending to be doing this work is that like if part of the rationale for why they're here is to find out what their powers are and to help them control it like we know what sam's power is it's right he's doing it right now we know that he sucks at it so the next step would be to teach him how to use his power which they absolutely do not attempt to do in any way but it doesn't feel like ray is would even know how to teach him that so what is the point of this facility yes we don't know uh, Rain walks Danny into the the kitchen mess hall area, and she's doing some exposition. She's telling us some of their background. Uh, and so starting with Sam, that he grew up in a small town in Kentucky. He was doing real well in school, but he had to drop out to work in the mines with his dad, Sam in the mines. We are going to be hearing about this quite a bit. That's going to come up again, that little detail. And then there's and then there's Roberto who is just like listening to music and cleaning up. And Rain is talking about how he's he's from the richest family in Brazil, being represented in a positive way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they don't know what his power is yet. And just something that I think is is cute and bizarre is nobody else does any work to keep this hospital running. Like we have no idea. Nobody cleans, nobody cooks. We don't know how anything happens here. But Berto is constantly washing the dishes. We see it like several times. He's like he's like a wife in a 1950s sitcom. <laughs> and it's just really, any random moment you cut to you cut to Berto and he's just like it's hanging. like the, it's like the Truman show. I remember washing dishes was a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got to feel bad for Mr. Sinister, I would say, trying to turn this dude into a marauder. Like you're going to have to work your way up to that cuz that's a process. Well, so here's where we see the computers for the first time. Reyes has a whole array of screens. This is, once again, the problem with screens um, is that if you have enough of them, then eventually it's just going to show you impossible, ridiculous things. And and so now it's nighttime. And Danny and Rain have gone to bed. On the, on the screen, we're seeing like this biometric scanning. So it's basically, it's like a heads-up display 
where there's like, as always with these, like too much information being presented to you at one time. So you can't actually see what's going on, but it's biometrically scanning these folks. I don't know why that's only happening at night, but they make that a, a really big deal. And then we're in the laundry. This is actually the other thing that Berto says. This, this scene is baffling, I feel. There's a whole bunch of washing machines in a basement. And Berto's washing his clothes. Again, Again only one doing chores. Doing anything. Um, and he says, dish duty's trimming down the wardrobe. And he's hanging out with Sam. And Sam says, every time your shirt gets dirty, you throw it away. And Berto's like, yeah. Which is What? He's the richest person in Brazil. But like, but where is he getting an endless supply of shirts here? He can't leave. He can't go shopping. He has no idea when more shirts will be arriving. <laughs> and who are you dressing up for anyway? There's like, also, five... <laughs> why is this the thing that shows you that he's rich? Like, this is the only thing Josh Boone could come up with. He yeah. has headphones, which... Yes. So do I. And <laughs> I'm a public school teacher. Yes. And he And he buys a new shirt. He buys every time a lot it gets messy. <laughs> and then he gives it to he gives his shirt he gives to, it to Sam. Sam. Yeah. Sam's happy about it. Sure. <laughs> oh, it's it's just so funny that like we don't we don't know who's supposed to be cleaning up. We don't know how food is getting in. There's one employee and we don't see Reyes do do anything except mess around on the computers. Berto says, was it scary working in the mines? Absolutely apropos of nothing. We just have to bring up that Sam works in the mines. And so he says yes. And there's some more camera stuff where it's doing a little heads up display where it's detecting Danny's psionic energy because she's dreaming about the incident at the reservation. And there we see some haunted electricity. Back to the laundry room. Berto says goodnight to Sam in a very sweet way he's like night kentucky which is cute um and then sam just kind of like sits there in the laundry room looking off into space and then he sees one of the washing machines so this is now we're now dealing with a haunted washing machine (laughs) um you see this washing machine like rattling around and shaking in this haunted haunted laundry this is why i refuse to wash my clothes by the way is because Mm, we'll see because of haunted laundry if you throw out a shirt you buy a new shirt every that time is you why. need one. Yeah. Because you don't want to deal with these, like, this shuddering, scary washing machine. So Sam walks up to it, and uh, and he bends down to look inside. And suddenly he is there, inside, in a mine. So here's what we see. Sam in the mine. He's walking around, and there's, like, this little tunnel. He's walking down this little dark tunnel, and there's all these guys... And they're pickaxes, which I guess are in the washing machine somehow. Um, and it seems to me like there's too many guys and not enough space for them to swing their their pickaxes. Okay. I, would, I also, feel like you'd want to space these out some more. Danny, I don't know a lot about coal mining. Yes, yeah. I'm I'm, you know, a big time New York City elitist, <laughs> but... The walls look like they're made out of brick. It in does this look scene. like a brick wall. I know. And they're just banging and on it. I was like, are we... The question is, are we in a mine in his mind? Or are they on, like, walls of the basement? I like, I don't what, know. Where does the reality end and the fiction begin and whatever? And All I know is that we are inside a washing machine. Sometimes horror movies can play fast and loose with this. You know, I've, <laughs> I've... 
I've seen the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've been a dream warrior. I understand <laughs> how this works, but like in theory, I do want to say, you know, we're, we're, we're clowning on this and rightly so, but like, I like the idea of this scene in, in a very abstract sense, mm-hmm. like, him sort of reliving this horrible moment in the mines that was so critical to him and like maybe taking place in the base basement of a haunted, you know, psychiatric hospital. Great. Yeah. Love it. We probably could have skipped all of the lines about the mine and just used this to convey that information. There, right? There's like, going to be, there's going to be more mine information coming up. Every, like, <laughs> every time Sam opens his mouth, a piece of coal drops out. Like Maybe, maybe we could use, the scary visuals to convey information about now we don't we don't we don't believe in that as far as as far as sam is concerned so sam he's walking like through this tunnel this what looks like brick walls that Mm -hmm. they're mining coal out of and at the end of the tunnel he sees his dad who is all covered in blood and uh and he says samuel what did you do and then sam's cannonball energy just kind of like starts up and he just blows out of the washing machine (laughs) His cannonball energy shoots him out of the washing machine, like out of the vision, back to the laundry room, and he slams up against like the washing machine on the other wall. So it is a good thing they have a whole bunch of washing machines here in the laundry because they just lost two of them in the same incident. But Sam is horrified. And so now now we find out basically what Danny's power is and basically the entire mystery of the movie, like right here halfway through act one, because Reyes is like looking very closely at a screen and she's seeing Danny with like the biometric energy spiking. So we know that Danny's doing something in her dreams. They're making it extremely clear that Danny having stressful dreams is responsible for what happens to Sam because they cut back and forth between them. And so there's two mysteries in the movie. Like what is Danny's power and where do these scary nightmares come from? And they have told us the answer to both of those questions halfway yeah. through the first act. Yeah. And it's so funny because, like, because the New Mutants are more obscure than a lot of other superheroes, yeah, they easily could have kept this a, a secret, secret yeah. for longer. Like, I feel like if I spoke to, you know, 20 random people on the street and was like, so Danny Moonstar, uh, alias alias Psyche, uh, and then later alias Mirage, yeah. uh, and then eventual member of the Valkyries. Uh, what what is, you know, Danny Moonstar? Um, she she actually she. I mean, she the answer go... the answer to that question would be no. Obviously. Yeah, no, no. Of course, but I was not. like, what is what is her power? Yeah, no, no one will know. I certainly didn't, but I do now. Yeah, she does scary things when apparently when she is um, asleep. And awake and upset and happy, just as we will see, like basically at any time of the day or night, Danny, Danny's she power can't control it manifests. Yeah. Dr. Reyes is doing another of her two minute therapy sessions where they're all sitting cross legged on the ground and pretending to meditate. And Dr. Reyes's therapy is that they just sit quietly and she says, control, control, control. She says it six times control control and control that's not how meditating works yes. well, is, and this is not how you learn to control things no is somebody just saying the word control at you it's not okay but berto has learned how to control it 
like this is this is another thing about just like the weird premise of this movie is that like Berto he doesn't even use it when he's in mortal danger like he's got that pretty control yeah. rain only turns into a dog when she feels like it Ileana doesn't isn't using her like none of these people are using their powers very much and and it feels like when they do it's a choice so oh, again absolutely. i don't know why reyes is just saying the word control six times to them Ileana Ileana doesn't have a controlled personality like she's she's yeah. a bad girl or whatever but like <laughs> Literally, Ileana, and we'll get into this, but like yeah. Ileana casts spells. Uh-huh. That to me feels like the most control that you thing can possibly to do have. to be able to say magic words and yeah. have things happen. What, what is like, yeah, what more could you want? <laughs> You're not teaching them anything. Um, but here comes here comes the next uh Native American slur. Danny comes in. And Ileana calls her Standing Rock. And then asks, do you want a buffalo wing? You people love buffalo, don't you? What, <laughs> what are you doing? Only, these aren't even funny. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't think racist jokes are funny to begin with. But like, right, but these, are not these aren't even funny. good racist jokes. <laughs> if you're going to do it, you got to up your game. And Danny's getting all mad. She uh, walks up and she says, uh, my dad told me about bitches like you. Which cannot possibly be the case because there no. are there are no other bitches like Ileana. Ileana is a very specific bitch and they only made one of her. The closest thing is probably Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> and and she says that I did appreciate though that like again this Danny standing up to yeah. Ileana thing mm-hmm. as like a way that actually was going to yeah. pa- patch together their relationship. Yeah. Even if we don't None, neither of them know it here, but mm-hmm. like Ileana starts to respect her a little more. Yeah. But it also makes no sense because they <laughs> do this. And then Ileana is like, why don't you show us on the puppet? She takes out Lockheed and she uh-huh. goes, why don't you show us on the puppet where daddy touched you? And like, what does that Which have to random. do with yeah. what yeah. Danny just said? Yeah. You just, it's like, it's, it's like a word association yeah. where you heard the word dad and you're like and i'm the one that carries around a puppet yeah dad i carry around a puppet sexual abuse like it just it didn't feel like a comeback oh and then it just it just occurred to me like iliana's whole thing is that she is a survivor of child sexual abuse correct this is not funny for her oh iliana yeah it didn't it's complex Danny gets one good hit in, and then Ileana summons her metal arm with her blue electric flaming sword, which is badass, I have to say. I feel like, I mean, as far as the control thing, like, clearly she has it under control because this is a very appropriate situation. You know, somebody punches you, you pull out your enormous hellfire flaming sword. I feel like what what we should be seeing is Dr. Reyes and Ileana, like, brainstorming in front of a whiteboard. Of like, okay, we got a metal arm. I got a flaming sword. Like, what kind of career opportunities are open to Ileana? Well, Marauder, apparently. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, elder care, <laughs> kindergarten teacher. Listen, listen. I, I, I mean, like that I, would teach, work out. I teach older kids the kindergarten, but yeah. I wish I got a flaming sword. Exactly. A metal arm and a flaming exactly. sword. Exactly. Oh, so many times. <laughs> you would be pulling it out every day. I would. It would work too. So Reyes comes in and unhelpfully, uh, and she just puts up a force shield bubble 
as Ileana's sword is coming down. So she's a, a total buzzkill. And then just the this is I I'm gonna I said before and I will continue to say constantly the most baffling thing is that Rhea says you're going to solitary, and we see her just kind of like walking Ileana down the hall and she's all sassy, and. Rhea says, I'll see you in the morning, and then like slams, puts Ileana in this solitary cell and slams the door on her. Now, for one thing, Ileana gets locked into her bedroom at night anyway in this place, apparently. She's all like in her own solitary bedroom. What is the difference between going into solitary and her actual bedroom? Also, it has already been established. Ileana has the power to teleport. (laughs) Yes, she does. Which she does not use. Yeah, I need to make this clear, and we'll get into this later. (laughs) That is Ilyana's mutant power. Yes, the metal arm and the sword. Yeah, that's secondary. At least in the comics, not Ilyana's mutant power. Yeah, she just has those (laughs) because she's just a badass. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. No, she does not. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Like she doesn't teleport out of here, and just like why does Ilyana allow Doctor Reyes to push her around like that? And then the computer, the very slow computer, which is being extremely judgy. We see the screen and the computer is saying like psionic energy elevated and then analyzing psionic event data. And then the crazy like slow computer thing is it prints out some instructions one line at a time. Where it goes like psionic energy levels elevated for 48 hours, mutant powers undetermined, collect blood samples for analysis and observe interactions with other subjects. So, Dr. Reyes is being instructed by powers beyond her understanding or control to determine Danny Moonstar's mutant powers, which we figured out like 10 minutes ago. And that is the end of Act 1 of The New Mutants. I will be releasing Act 2 later this week, and it involves several consecutive teenage rebellions. Here's what's coming up. And he says, my dad gave it to me right before he passed. Your dad gave you a piece of coal? As a, like, what kind of crappy present is that? Remember, his dad also passed, I thought, in a coal mine. In a coal haven. mine that he was working. So, like, there's coal he all just standing over there the in place. the coal mine, like, hey, Sam, yeah. take, take this coal. <laughs> this like, this piece. he didn't know he was dying. <laughs> I chose this one. Here we are in a coal <laughs> mine. I chose this one especially for you to express how special I think you are. Like, if this is the kind of thing that goes on in this family, then Christmas must be pretty predictable. All right, stay tuned for that. Thank you, Becca. Oh, thank you, Danny. I will meet you right back here for Act Two of The New Mutants on the Superheroes Everyday Podcast. Thanks for listening.